three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglou, and great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, the Bears have finally become active in free agency. We'll break it down in just a second. Plus, a brand new interview today with David Sampson, the former president of the Miami Marlins and the host of Nothing Personal on the CBS Sports Podcast Network. We'll talk with him extensively about some Cubs and White Sox news, the MLB lockout, and some funny stories from his time in Miami. That all comes up near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook, John Zaglou. You can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, sportstalkchicago.com. I want to start today with this. Maybe, in retrospect, I was a bit premature to discuss Brian Poles and the Bears' free agent strategy. I said yesterday, which I still believe to be right, patience is a virtue. The Bears should not have just gone out and spent tons of money like Ryan Pace, then be stuck with bad contracts, stupid contracts, that would set the team back in a couple of years. Smartly, intelligently, Ryan Poles waited to see how the market developed. Didn't jump the gun, didn't make an overly aggressive move to the point where the Bears would be cap-strapped. He waited. And late last night, news broke that the Bears made two key signings, one of which I'm extremely excited about. The Bears have officially upgraded their offensive line. They've signed guard and center Lucas Patrick to a two-year, $8 million deal, $4 million guaranteed in year one. Former Packer worked and played under Luke Getze, the Bears' offensive coordinator. Here are some stats on him. 459 snaps at left guard, 958 snaps at center, 1,267 at right guard. You have to love this move. This is something that a lot of us have been clamoring about for years, even. Not just this past season, years. The Bears finally have some money to invest in the offensive line. And this couldn't have been a better move. He's a solid player, started 28 games the last two seasons for the Packers. Now, the Bears lost James Daniels yesterday. A lot of people talked about it. This is by far a great replacement. Real question is going to be where you're going to play him has experience at three different spots on the offensive line. And he's proficient, if not really good, at all three. I'm just so happy about this move. I mean, Justin Fields 
needs some sort of protection. We've talked about this all season. He was running for his life. We remember the Cleveland game. We remember the fumbles, the interceptions, the being rushed in the pocket. We remember how bad the Bears offensive line was. Might have been good for running in the run game, but not that good when it came to protecting the quarterback. This scores it up a bit. Hopefully there's more to come, but this is a great start from Ryan Poles. And look at those numbers again, really. 459 snaps at left guard, 958 at center, 1267 at right guard. He could play all three of those positions. The Bears need a center, too. He's probably going to be much better than Sam Mustafer. I loved it. I loved the move. On top of it, you poach him away from Green Bay, bring him to a spot where the offensive coordinator, oh, just so happens to be your former coach in Green Bay as well. He'll be familiar with blocking schemes from Getsy, plays from Getsy. I see this being a big win for the Bears. And a great, another shrewd move by Ryan Fultz. Take a look at the money. Two years, $8 million, $4 million guaranteed, done. The Bears had, what, $41 million in cap space? Great. You're only committing $4 million guaranteed for this year. For starting caliber offensive linemen who can play three different positions on top of it. Another shrewd move. If there's one word to describe Ryan Poles at this point, a couple of days into free agency, it is shrewd by far, and I love it. He's not breaking the bank, but he's also addressing needs that the Bears have. Can't argue with either of those two aspects. And the Bears made another splash. Signed a new linebacker, Nicholas Morrow. On the second day of the legal tampering period, he was an undrafted free agent in 2017, spent his first five years with the Raiders. This one I'm a bit more weary about, but there's good and bad to his signing overall. Now, the good is he improved in each of his five seasons with Oakland and Las Vegas. In 2020, he had career highs in total tackles, 79 tackles for loss, 8 sacks, 3, and QB hit 6. Problem is... He suffered a foot injury last year, did not play one game in 2021. The Bears are transitioning, of course, to the 4-3 defense. They need a couple of good linebackers to surround Roquan Smith. It looks like Morrow might be one of them. This is one where it made sense for the money. Not a lot of money committed to Morrow. Even not a lot of years as well. This is a shrewd move once more by Ryan Poles. The question is, can he replicate what he did in 2020? Sat out a whole year, had an injury. Is he going to come back okay? And can he build upon all the improvement he sustained over his first couple of years in Oakland and Las Vegas? Each year he got better for the most part. 73 tackles, 2019, 78, 2020, 43, 2018. He's gone up each of those years. Had a career high in sacks also in 2020. Played in 14 games, started 11. So he was turning into a starter from an undrafted free agent. That's a great sign right there. Good numbers that last year for not being their primary tackler, but injury history. Hurt, what's he going to do? We don't know. But again, Ryan Poles did not spend a lot of money. So I'm happy. I really am. There's no need to give out stupid money to players who won't be worth it. And the Bears maybe have not made the biggest high-profile signings, but the last time I checked, they're not in it to win this year. And we know that. And by the way, here's another replacement potentially for Khalil Mack. Once again, the Bears are saving money. I'd rather pay Ogunjobi and Morrow 
what they're getting and get similar, if not a bit better production than paying Khalil Mack $26 million. I mean, this move officially put me over the top for Mack. Now I don't really care that he's gone. I hate to say it. From a fan standpoint, from a sentimental standpoint, it sucks. But business-wise, great move by Ryan Poles. He's cut everybody. Eddie Goldman, Eddie Trebathan just got cut. You know what? Go ahead. You're saving tons of money for your team. Getting rid of these old guys who have bloated contracts and who, let's be frank, really aren't performing to the extent that they should be. Mac was, but he even got hurt. Everybody else wasn't. Get these guys off the books, save money, and you'll be okay in two or three years. Did want to say this, too. New name is entered the free agent market at wide receiver, and that's yeah, a pretty big one. Julio Jones. It's got released by the Titans. He's now available, willing to sign with any team. Could the Bears be in? Could they be interested? As nobody knows or forgot, Julio Jones is a top 10 wide receiver when healthy, and that's the key with him. He was hurt a lot of last year, didn't have the best statistics. That, again, though, was in a new place, Tennessee, Ryan Tannehill, quarterback, 434 yards in 10 games. So not the best. One of his worst years, actually, in the NFL. But before that, talking about 13,000 yards in his career, and he's only going to be 33 years old. The real question is going to be, how much money will he command? How much money will he be offered and given on the open market? And that's the question for Julio Jones and what he's going to do. Obviously, with his injury history, with the underwhelming year last year, he's going to go somewhere where they offer him the most money. That's just a pack because at this point, who's giving him anything? This guy's damaged goods. Older, hurt, not much production last year. If he gets a good deal, he's going to tank it. So I don't advise the Bears overpay for Julio Jones at all, but it's an intriguing option if he stays out of the open market. And if the Bears are willing to not overpay and give him a competitive contract offer, maybe it's possible. Tell you one thing, Julio Jones, Arnell Mooney, potentially a draft pick, watch out. (laughs) I don't care that he's old. He's great. And I catch touchdowns, but racks up tons of yards year in and year out, with the exception of really last year. Even in 2020, with Atlanta's last year there, nine games, 771 yards, he was going to get 1,000 again. He's going to do it again. Julio in his career, one, two, three, four, five, six great 1,000-yard seasons. And he's a borderline Hall of Fame candidate at this point. And that's not even a controversial opinion. It's the truth. But the yards he's had, the longevity he's had in his career, there's no doubt that he'll get consideration on the ballot if he plays one or two more years even. Even now, if he retired, he'd have strong consideration. You're talking about a potentially Hall of Fame wide receiver being available on the open market for maybe the right price? How about the Bears at least put a feeler out? You are in desperate need of wide receiving help. Everyone's off the board, except, okay, Juju Smith-Schuster, still. Now Julio Jones, but everyone else is off that you targeted. Christian Kirk, Russell Gage. Christian Kirk got overpaid, but still. All the guys that you wanted, that you targeted, are gone. As of today, Darnell Mooney's your number one, and while that's fine, it would be nice to add Julio Jones a veteran presence on your offense. 
a guy who could still produce in the right situation if he's healthy, too. So it is a question for Ryan Foles. Based on what he's done so far, I don't expect the Bears to really be in on it, only because it's different from what his philosophies are. He said he wants to be quick, wants to be fast, wants to be young. Well, Julio Jones is old, not as quick as he was before, doesn't really catch touchdowns anymore, and injury prone. I don't know if that's something Foles would be interested in spending a lot of money on. The price is right, though, and we all know the Bears need wide receiving help. It's certainly a possibility, and I wouldn't be disappointed at all. I'd be pretty happy with that move should it happen. I will not revise my grade on Ryan Foles and free agency yet. Once again, as of today, it's still an A to me. Every move he's made has been calculated. He's a calculated decision maker. I love it. He's not impulsive. Ryan Pace, you could tell, inexperienced, impulsive, spending tons of money that the Bears really didn't even have. Ryan Poles, inexperienced at the position, but he's acting like a veteran at this point. Super calm, testing the market, and not spending tons of money impulsively to please the fan base. I love it. I love it. I'd rather it be this way than Ryan Pace Part 2. I know there are some who are still a little bit underwhelmed. Why are the Bears spending money? What happened the last time the Bears spent tons of money all at once? Well, right now. <laughs> Ryan Foles inherited a horrible cap situation, cleared out cap. What were the Bears last year? What, 6-11? and 11? No, thank you. With aging contracts, guys who weren't playing and weren't producing when they were playing. The fact is, change needed to be made. And the Bears have that right now, Ryan Poles. Obviously, all these moves and these players are going to have to perform, and that will really determine how well he's done, what I love about all three of these moves that he's made. They're all small money and small commitment. Every move he's made, small money, small commitment, gotta love it. He's the anti-Ryan Pace, and that's kind of exactly what the Bears need here, right? No crazy spending. No long commitments. That way you free up camp space in the future. And when you're competitive again, Maybe you don't need any of these guys. Get rid of them all and find somebody you really need at that point and spend real money. He's doing it the right way, and to me, it's actually pretty shocking and surprising to see the Bears actually spend money responsibly. Unbelievable. (laughs) Can't believe I'm sitting here talking about it, but it's true. They're spending money smartly and responsibly. I especially love the offensive lineman signing. That, by far, is the best signing they've made all offseason. Lucas Patrick, two years, $8 million, $4 million guaranteed for this year only. So a $4 million cap hit for this year for a perennial starter, offensive lineman who could play three different positions. That is unbelievable that he pulled that off. And familiarity with Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator. When you look at that move from all angles, you have to be just, impressed. I'm impressed with that signing. Moro, we'll see. Joby, good move in my opinion too. Moro and Joby put together, match, and if not exceed Khalil Mack's production for half the price. Sign me up. And if the Bears need some help at wide receiver, well, another name has entered the prey. And if they don't overpay for Julio Jones, that by far is going to be a big win this offseason. I don't know how well he's going to do. He's older, hurt a lot, but if you get him on a flyer-type contract, 
it could turn out to be who he was in Atlanta. And how about that sort of pairing? Justin Fields and Julio Jones. Justin Fields getting a real weapon who's a veteran, who knows what it's all about, knows how to run a route and gain yards after the catch, knows how to go deep. He's a deep threat too. That, to me, would be a great match for the Bears offensively. They have options here. That's all you could ask for if you're a Bears banner. You're the Bears themselves. They're sticking to their plan. They aren't letting me, you, public sentiment, fans, media, switch up what they're trying to do. Everyone's accepting that, number one, the Bears won't be good next year. And number two, it's not smart to spend stupid money when you know you're not going to be good next year, even the year after. This is a two to three to four year plan, and the Bears, as of today, are executing it to perfection. All of the contracts they gave out, little money, little cap hit, little commitments. Key word, commitment. Little commitment. Shrewd moves. Ryan pulls once again as we enter day three of the tampering period. Gets an A. No question. Still get an A. All these moves. A. May not be popular. May look like to some Bears fans, oh my gosh, to rebuild again. That's because Ryan Pace left the Bears in shambles. He showed his inexperience at his position. This is ten times different than Ryan Pace. And Foles has no experience technically. So I'm in love with him. And hopefully the Bears could at least just address the wide receiver position a bit, maybe another offensive lineman too. That'd be a huge success. But right now as it stands, they've done a great job, and I have nothing but praise for Ryan Poles for the way the Bears have handled this entire situation. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with David Sampson comes up next, so stay tuned. Talk Chicago. Every town's a global, and we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's former president of the Miami Marlins and the host of Nothing Personal on the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Please welcome David Sampson to the program. David, great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's baseball time, baby. What was your reaction to the end of the lockout? Finally. No, I knew. <laughs> I, I'd been talking about the lockout on my show for a long time, and I knew that both sides had to get right to the edge of the cliff, hanging on by their fingernails, about to fall into the abyss of a missed games or a missed season, and they finally looked at each other and said, uh-oh, we better settle right now, because if we don't, we're not going to be able to play 162. How'd you evaluate the deal itself? Was it fair based on what you saw? I hate the deal from a small market standpoint. I think it was way too big a give to the players, I, f- I think the minimum salaries went way higher than I would have liked. I wanted the CBT to be way lower than it is because teams use that as a salary cap. And so teams will spend up to that cap. As soon as the revenue turns around post-COVID, which it will starting this year, you'll see more teams crawl up against that. And I think you'll see bigger payroll disparities. I don't think it dealt with tanking. We're seeing what the Reds and A's are doing. So all of the things that tried to get taken care of I think that over time you'll see that the players may not have accomplished everything they wanted to but they really did do quite well what's the biggest change to the game do you think we'll see well I think that the biggest change if I had to guess 
in terms of on-field is that there will be changes made faster than, as an example, we thought going into this year, no more runner on second base to start extra innings. And I was part of that rule with the competition committee when I was in baseball. I love that rule. I need that rule because having 18 inning games is a nightmare because A, I want to go home. B, I don't want to have to call up a pitcher to replace my tomorrow starter who had to pitch four innings when he wasn't supposed to. I don't want to have to put a reliever on the injured list because he had to throw extra pitches. And I don't want to see all my hitters getting down on the knob and trying to hit a home run to end the game because they're grumpy and they're missing their dinner. So I love that rule. And the rule got taken away. And then you read two days later, they're negotiating to put it back. So maybe what you're seeing is more cooperation between players and owners during the course of a CBA. And that will be very good for the game. Explain to me how that works. How do they go from not having the rule to now trying to negotiate and put it back in? So the collective bargaining agreement is a living document. And what that means is during the course of the term, which is five years, there's a bunch of things that are not contained in that document that are still part of the game. And it requires discussion between the two sides, between employers and employees, because things change, things evolve. And when employers and employees don't get along, they start fighting about everything, even if they agree. And the best example is the universal DH, where last year there was no universal DH, even though both sides wanted it. But they hate each other so much back then that they couldn't agree to it. You're going to see that change, I hope. Rob Manford is trying to have a better relationship with the players, and I'm hoping that that cooperation will improve the product on the field. What do you make of the expanded playoffs? Is 12 too many? Oh, God, no. I was all in on 14 because I can sell into the playoffs. So if I'm within five games of a playoff spot on September 1st, I can send out postseason invoices. And I can take money from fans who are reserving their postseason tickets. And I can bill them for the maximum number of home games. And then when we don't make the playoffs or if we don't play every home game, we can use that money as a deposit to next year's season ticket holders but I've got the use of the cash that entire time. So I always wanted to be within five games of a playoff spot September 1st, and the more teams who make it, the more teams who are within five games, the better it is. Did the teams keep that money? Like, if you don't make the playoffs and, and they the fans pay, you keep that. Boy, we make it hard for you to get a refund, I'll tell you that. <laughs> David Sampson here on Sports Talk Chicago. David, how vindicated do you feel after Derek Jeter got let go from the Marlins? So... It's a great question. I'm not vindicated because everybody knew I was right from the beginning. So there was nothing to be vindicated about. (laughs) It was quite obvious that he would not be able to be better at the job than I was because it's a hard job. And he tried to come in and his whole way of doing business was just everything I did, he did the opposite, right? He did a full Costanza thinking that that would be the way to succeed. But I never wanted him to get fired because I just knew he would. But more importantly, I think it's better for the organization, both on and off the field. And I'm hopeful because I want there to be another World Series championship in Miami. I think it'd be so cool to win three rings before all these other teams get even one, 
right? Or to have three rings in the same time period that the Dodgers have one or the Yankees have one, right? That's cool to me. So I root for the Marlins to win. What specifically led to his downfall in Miami? Hubris. Really? Right? So he came in with a plan that he would get all sorts of extra revenue, more season ticket holders, more corporate sponsorship, a big, big TV deal, a big naming rights deal, and then the payroll would get to go high, and he'd get to sign all these players and be a hero. And he just forgot that if you don't get the revenue, then the payroll's not going to go up. And that's what happened. They didn't get the revenue, and so the payroll didn't go up. But Bruce Sherman was never going to publicly say that he fired Derek Jeter because he holds him in such high regard as a player, and he was never going to embarrass him. But the relationship between Jeter and Sherman completely disappeared. How big of a hole did he put the Marlins in today? I wouldn't say they're in a hole at all. You know, they have a nice farm system, which I never really cared about because I wanted a good major league team. They've got a good young pitching staff, but they've got to win now, but they don't have the ability to have a player or two or three to help them win now. And that's the real problem is that when it, when a small revenue team is ready to win, you have to be ready to help that team. And I think Jeter knew this was the window because his pitchers are going to start getting more expensive, but there's just not the payroll capacity. How long do you think it takes for the Marlins to become an NLE's contender, even a World Series contender? So they're going to have to go through another rebuild, right? And no one wants to hear that, but there's windows that open and close. You know, Bruce Sherman met the media, the owner of the Marlins, and he said something that just shows that he's not experienced. He said, we don't want to win just this year. We want to win every year. We're not going to be like the past owner. We're not going to have ups and downs. We're going to win every year. Well, Bruce, I got a surprise for you. Unless you're the Yankees, it ain't going to happen. Every year, 15 teams don't win 81 games on average. And when you're a small revenue team, you're going to have windows of opportunity that open and then they close. And then you reopen them and then they close. And the best front offices know how to minimize the downside and maximize the upside, but you can't eliminate it. Did you appreciate the shot from Bruce? You know... It's, he was, so to people who don't know, he, he was not willing to say that Jeter got fired, but he certainly was willing to say that they're going to spend money after Jeter claimed that they weren't willing to spend money. But again, when you're an owner, you don't stand there spring training and say, we're going to spend money. You don't raise expectations of your fan base because you don't know how you're going to spend money and you don't know if you're going to make good deals. But if you feel like you're forced to for PR, which I've been in many times in my career, you end up signing crappy deals. What's one of those examples? Oh, my God. How about Jared Saltalamacchia? Three years. <laughs> John Buck, three years. I love you, John. I do, but you got more years. Here's a hint to everyone out there. If you have a free agent who's willing to sign with your team without ever visiting you or meeting you in person, you are overpaying. <laughs> that happened in both those cases, right? It certainly did. Any other ones or no? Uh, Al Leiter, we gave him $8 million for one year when no one else was offering him anything, and he would get to live at home, and we thought he'd be a great leader for us. That didn't work. We thought that uh, we met Jose Reyes. That was good, but then it didn't work out. 
God, so many mistakes. Thanks for bringing me down memory lane. Hold on, let me go get my World Series ring so I can look at it, so I can remember that one time we beat the Cubs. <laughs> David Sampson here on Sports Talk Chicago. David, let's talk some Cubs. What do you think about their look this year? So are they rebuilding or not? I really don't know, to be honest with you. It seems like they have enough money to spend. Obviously, if they want to spend money buying a soccer team, potentially in Europe. But yet, as we see today, they aren't making many moves. So I want to help out your fan base. Okay. Just because an owner has enough money to buy another asset does not mean that he should put that money into an asset that doesn't make money. So the Cubs make money on an asset appreciation basis. So they're worth more than what he paid for them. But on an everyday operating basis, they do not make a lot of money. And as an investment, maybe, if he sells, but I don't think Ricketts wants to sell. So just because he wants to buy an EPL team doesn't mean that your payroll should be 290. And I also think that getting rid of Rizzo and Baez and Bryant was very smart from a baseball standpoint, very smart. Those guys are gonna be overpaid by their teams. There's no question about it. But you need to make smart signings, and you need to win if you're the Cubs because that is the way to help Wrigleyville. That's the way to sort of bring everything back post-COVID. So it remains to be seen what happens. But Theo, let me just end with this on this subject. Theo's no fool. He left there for a reason. What do you think about Jed Hoyer and his job so far after Theo? You know, Jed Hoyer is very smart, and he learned from Theo, who's very good at his job, but you can only be as good as your owner lets you be. So one of the things that matters and why Tampa can be so good is they make a plan and they stick to it. They make a three-year plan and they stick to it. They make a five-year plan and they stick to it. We could barely make a three-week plan with the Marlins without changing it. And I feel as though the Cubs need to figure out their plan and then stick to it. What about the White Sox? How they looked entering the year? I think Jerry Reinsdorf, like me, in 2003 when we won, all I wanted was to win one World Series. And the minute we won, all I wanted was to win a second. And I know that Reinsdorf so badly after 05, so badly, he wanted 05. He wanted it more than a Bulls championship. That's how badly he wanted to win a World Series. And then he won it, and he was like, man, let's do that again. And now it's been 17 years, and he knows that he doesn't have forever. And he's got a good team, but he wants to win a second ring so badly. I hope he does. What do you make of their signings of uh, Vince Velasquez, Joe Kelly, Josh Harrison? You know, each year, teams make under-the-radar quote-unquote signings, and every year one of them works out. So last year, as an example, at the trade deadline, what the Braves did, all of the analysts said, yeah, well, they didn't do much. They did stuff on the fringe. They got Soler. They got Rosario. They got this guy Duval from the Marlins. Whatever. It's fringe stuff. It's not the big trade deadline acquisition. Meanwhile, they played so well down the stretch as a team, they won a ring without their best player, arguably Acuna, which means you don't really know how moves are going to work out until after. But you hope when you make your offseason signings that you did better than your competitors. So Josh Harrison is not who he used to be, right? Velasquez, Kelly is on the older side. But if you hit it right, they're the perfect signings that you look back and say, what a genius that team is. 
Where do you see them going this year, the White Sox? How do you rank them in the American League and potentially their World Series hopes, too? So I think they should be one of 12. Uh, but again, it's hard for me. The reason I'm not doing predictions yet is there's still so much. Normally, on March, whatever date we're on, the majority of transactions are complete. And you can actually evaluate teams. I'm not, the reason I'm not willing to evaluate right now is there's still so many changes that are going to happen on rosters that I'm going to have to wait till I, opening day is when I'm going to make some predictions. What to come with David Sampson. In just a moment, stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. David Sampson still here on Sports Talk Chicago. David, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, how do you have the guts to curse out booing fans? So, I did not. (laughs) Right? Because I didn't want to. Because I was brought up that cursing is never going to help you win an argument. So I would always want fans to curse at me. Because I knew I'd win in any argument. And what I would do is I'd walk around the ballpark during games... And sometimes I'd get booed like to my face and I would immediately stop and sit down and talk to that fan. And I wouldn't leave until I had turned that fan around. I had this view, like with my new show, just one person at a time, one listener at a time, one fan at a time. If you educate people, they tend to understand your perspective better. So I never minded being booed. I never minded being cursed at, but I minded when I didn't get the opportunity to try to engage with that fan. How do more owners and presidents do that? Like walk around the park, engage with fans? Because they have thin thin skin. And you and obviously you don't, and that oh, obviously no. played a role. Yeah, I loved it, right? <laughs> I've always so I, I had a rule and it's a great rule if you're gonna be a public figure. If you don't want to believe the negative that people say and write about you, then you sure as hell can't believe the positive. So I am the person who I don't believe when someone writes something good about me, and I don't believe when someone writes something bad about me. And by having that point of view, it enabled me to ignore all of it. But there are many owners and presidents who they focus on just the good, and then they start believing their own press. And when someone says something bad, all of a sudden, it's an enemy forever. And I just never was like that. David, before we finish up today, last question. What's the funniest locker room moment you've had with a player? Uh, asking Joe Borowski to put underwear on when he would walk around the clubhouse. I don't know why I'm thinking of this right now. It's funny. He would walk around the clubhouse naked, fully um, powdered. He would put powder from his neck to his toes. And he'd walk around the clubhouse completely naked. And I don't mean just the front of his body. Somehow he had the arms. God knows. I don't think anyone assisted him. But he had powder everywhere, like every crevice. And he'd walk around, and I'd be like, Joe, seriously? Like, we're going to have to vacuum the powder, and I'm way too close to you right now. But that was always funny with Joe. Did he ever say why he did it? I never even asked. I assumed chafing. (laughs) (laughs) David, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate the time, as always. And best wishes, but nothing personal as well. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Great talk there with David Sampson, and that'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to David Sampson himself, Matt Tubio, WCKG, Jim DeTolvin, to Marlboro Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluel. You'll watch more of this show. 
Search up Sports Talk Chicago. Now, podcast, Spotify, YouTube, sportstalkchicago.com. Another great show comes to you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone. No! No! Where are the turtles?